Am I on? Yep. Okay. Good. Oh, God is good. We're going to be in uh, Romans 8 this morning. My job is to take a two-hour sermon and do it in 20 minutes now with all this stuff we have going on this morning. That's great. So we'll see how I do that. I have to confess, um, the pastors and our intern, uh, our intern get together and pray before uh, the meeting in the morning, and as usual, we ask each other how the message is, you know, how'd, how'd you do preparing it, and how's it going, and, and, this, and I said, you know, it is what it is, <laughs> you know, thinking, ah, you know, I, I put it together, but, you know, it's, um, and immediately, uh, I was... Um, corrected by the Holy Spirit, and I received joy in preaching this morning, because the Holy Spirit told me and said to me, in so many words, it's not about you. <laughs> it's, it's not about me preaching uh, God's Word. It's about His Word. Uh, and, and, and just re- remembering that, realizing that, just gave me so much joy, and I look forward to, to bringing God's Word this morning. Now, specifically, my assignment was, um, or is, Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Uh, but this, this text starts with the word, likewise, uh, which means it requires some context. Uh, so we're going to start back in verse 18, and I'll, I'll be reading verses 18 through 27. So I'll read the text first, and then I'll pray for the preaching of God's word. Romans 8, beginning verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. 
because it brings us your truth and ever-loving grace and mercy, Father. So I'm overjoyed, Lord, this morning that you give me an opportunity to share your word with your people, Father. And I ask that, that you use these texts to affect change in our hearts, Father. Change for faith in you, Father, in the glory that is to be revealed to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, up until now, all of Romans chapters 1 through 7 uh, build a case for Paul's magnificent statement in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if, if up until now we didn't have anything to get excited about, uh, Romans 8.1 was it. It gave us plenty to get excited about. In verses 2 through 4 of, of chapter 8, Paul reveals how the Holy Spirit liberates us through Christ. And then verses 5 through 17 tells us what the Holy Spirit gives us as he liberates us. All these verses are creating this, this exhilarating buildup of hope that culminates in the cry, Abba, Father, verse 15. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. But before we lose ourselves in the clouds, Paul contrasts this glorious hope with the stark reality of the pain of human existence. He's just thrown cold water in our face with the truth that we, we know all too well that suffering is a large part of our existence. Suffering is a large part of our existence. And then he says something that most of us miss because, because we're too focused on our current reality, the truth of the here and now. He, he says this. He says that our sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The funny thing is, we totally miss what he's saying because we're so focused on, on our pain. We're so focused on our heartaches, our, our suffering. We're so focused on life's not fair. Now, I'm not saying it's not real. It, it is. When there's, when there's pain, it's so difficult to concentrate. Imagine hitting yourself on the hand with a with the hammer really hard. You're going to be in a lot of pain. And it's not likely you'll you'll hear or even understand the person's next to you that says, "Hey, would you like a ice cream cone?" Because your focus is so much on on the pain. It's hard to concentrate. Our sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is an astounding statement. 
which carries as much weight as verse uh, 8.1, but if we're not called to its attention, we'll miss how important it is and how critically helpful it will be during our suffering. Critically helpful this will be during our suffering. Paul says, I have considered... And it, can, it cannot compare. I have considered, meaning, meaning I have thought it over carefully, and I have studied all the evidence, and I reckon this to be so. So then, what must this glory be like that he's talking about that we cannot compare? Well, probably many things, but there are two things that, that Scripture tells us about heaven and earth transformed and glorified bodies. Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Heaven and earth transformed. Glorified bodies. Philippians 3.20-21 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Heaven and earth transformed glorified bodies. That's a future grace that I want to be a part of. I'll be able to see that. There's simply no comparison. There's no comparison of our pleasures or our pain with the glory yet to be revealed. This future glory is so amazing that creation groans for it, believers groan for it, and even the Holy Spirit aids believers with his own groaning. The title for my message this morning, if you're, if you're taking notes, is The Groans for a Future Glory. This is undoubtedly the shortest message title of this year for my messages. I think this is, this is my first message this year. So. so my goal for this morning is to highlight the groans of the creation, Christians, and the Holy Spirit in anticipation for the future glory that is to be revealed to us so that so we can increase in our faith to do God's will in, in this temporary life, which we call home. Okay, so let's begin with looking at the first groan. Creation groans. Verse 18 says, For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Notice how it says, the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All of creation then, all of creation waits with eager longing. Longing for what? Longing 
for the revealing of the sons of God, his, his chosen ones. The presentation of the transformed, the glorified children of God when, when everything will be made right again. This is what, what creation is anticipating to see again. Creation longs for the day of liberation. Why is there a longing for liberation? Well, the reason is found in verse 20, which says, for the creation was subjected to futility because of the curse that came upon creation when mankind sinned. In the beginning, everything was perfect. It was paradise. Genesis 1.29 says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. They, they had everything they needed. They had food to eat. They had beautiful accommodations. The weather was always perfect. Every desire was met. And they walked and communed with God. This, this, was, this was paradise, literally. Then sin entered their paradise. Genesis 3, 17 through 19 says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of, the, out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, creation became a sufferer. Subjected to futility, decay, and death. The whole of creation groans. The whole of creation groans like the labor pains of childbirth waiting to be delivered. I like that the words used there, pains of childbirth waiting to be delivered. It reminds me of, of someone who's in labor. They are, they're struggling. They're in pain. It's definite. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming. I, I've never had labor myself. But I remember my wife's face. There was pain there. And then afterwards, it was, I looked at her again, it was like she was glowing. You know, she has our child, the baby is, is wrapped in, in these wrappings, and, and the baby is, you know, the baby is, is quiet and, and not fussy. It's, there's no pain there. And she's smiling again. You never hear of, of a husband saying, oh, hey, take a look at these pictures that I got of my wife, excruciating pain in labor. You know? No, they show, they show pictures of afterwards when, when the, the mom is glowing and the baby's nice and peaceful. Everything is nice. The whole of creation groans. No doubt there's, there's beauty in the world. 
Just look outside. But even in that beauty, there's decay and destruction. Even death. Think about what it would be like when, when creation is free to produce like it was designed to produce. Free from decay and destruction. Free from death. We're going to be witnesses to that. We're going to be witnesses to that. Creation groans and believers groan. Point number two, Christians groan. Verse 23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the believers, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Christians groan inwardly from the moment of salvation. When you gave your life to Jesus, you began a groaning. There's a parallel verse in 2 Corinthians 5.2 that says, For in this tent, this body of ours, for in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, longing to put on our transformed body, our redeemed body. We groan longing to put on our heavenly body, our transformed body. We also groan because of having to live in our failing bodies in this fallen world. There is sickness, decay, disappointments, limitations. Boy, there are limitations. I don't get out of, out of bed as, as quickly as I used to. I used to hop out of bed. Now I kind of creak out of bed. <laughs> I'm not 20 anymore. I'm in the late evenings of my 50s. Persecution and all sorts of suffering. This is not to say that non-Christians do not groan. We all groan, as all of creation groans, because we live in a fallen world. But there's a, there's a difference in our groaning. There's a newness in it. It's not simply to remove pain and suffering. There's something else now. There's a new groaning. But a groaning for what? Like all of creation, we groan eagerly waiting. Waiting for what? For completion. For deliverance. For deliverance from this fallen world. We groan for the moment when we will be glorified with Christ. Romans 8, 16 and 17 say, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. But we are not complete until the redemption of our bodies. We are already adopted children of God. We are already God's sons and daughters. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are 
children of God, the moment we accept Christ as our Savior and our sins are forgiven, we are made heirs together with Christ. And we will be glorified with Him when we are made complete, restored, given new bodies through the redemption of our bodies. And we wait eagerly. This eager waiting, there are terms for this, this phrase, wait eagerly, terms that describe somebody who's straining their neck forward. And it reminds me of when I was growing up, we, we'd go to a, a birthday party, uh, whether it was ours or, or a friend of ours, and there were a lot of kids there. There were the neighborhood kids, uh, school kids that were friends, uh, cousins, you know, a lot of people, a lot of kids, and they'd bring out the pinata, right? They're going to have a pinata. And everybody knew what to do. We'd form this big circle around, and everybody's jostling to get in a good place, right? We're eagerly waiting for the, for the candy to drop, you know? Uh, un- unlike today, today's kids, especially the homeschool kids, you can't get them to make a straight line, for, much less have them do a circle. But we, did a, we, we just formed a circle. We knew how to do it. And, and, and we were eager because as soon as that candy dropped, we, we had to get out there and get, if we didn't, if we weren't fast, we got no candy. It's not like today where all the kids are giving bags of candy, you know, even though there's a piñata and there's candy all over the ground. Kids, you know, they yell, go get the candy. And the kids are running around, where, where's my bag of candy? That's what they're looking for. Not then, boy, back then, if you didn't, if you didn't, if you weren't fast to get your candy, you didn't get any. <laughs> so we were there eagerly waiting, anticipating that first crack in the pinata so the candy dropped. We wait eagerly. And one day, we will know the fullness of our salvation. So now we come to my assigned verses, verse 26 and 27. And point number three, the Holy Spirit groans. I mentioned earlier how in verses two through four, Paul reveals how the Holy Spirit liberates us through Christ. Then in five through seven tells us what the Holy Spirit gives us as he liberates us. Then Paul tells us that we will suffer, but but our suffering cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed. He goes on to tell us that all of creation groans, eagerly waiting for the suffering to end. Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, also groan for their completion, for the redemption of their bodies, which means we have not arrived yet, we we have not been completed yet, and we desperately need help because we are weak. His intent here in the next two verses is to help us to see that that we're not left alone to fend for ourselves. We're not left in the dark to wander about trying to find our way. He continues his revelation about how the Holy Spirit liberates us with words to encourage us by saying, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He's saying the Holy Spirit has liberated you from the bondage to sin and death and knows that you are weak. Therefore, 
He has come in to help you. And it's the Holy Spirit himself that comes in to help. He's not on the sidelines giving advice on what what to do. He says the Spirit himself intercedes. The Holy Spirit rolls up his sleeves and helps. He gets involved. He's involved. We've We've had quite a few moves recently. And some of the moves went rather quickly because everybody who showed up rolled up their sleeves and helped. Not much would have gotten done if everyone who showed up stood around pointing at boxes and furniture and and said, oh, this needs to be placed in the truck. We rolled up our sleeves and we helped. The Holy Spirit himself helps us in our weakness. We are weak and we need help. Have you ever experienced a time when you were so overwhelmed with grief and you didn't know how to pray? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Have you ever had a child or spouse, a parent or a friend that was so ill that you didn't know how to pray because You had prayed so many times before and you were here once again on your knees. But you were at a loss as to what to pray or how to pray. But the Spirit himself helps. Maybe there was a time when someone said something to you. It was so hurtful. You were so devastated by what was said, whether it was true or false, You were so devastated that you couldn't pray. But the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us. There may come a time when you're lying in a hospital bed with catheters and IVs so devastatingly weak that you don't have the will to pray or you can't formulate two words. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Isn't that a wonderful thought? But praying is not the only place where we need help. That's just an aspect of our weakness. Our our weakness is so great that an aspect of our weakness is that we do not know what to pray for as we ought. This is more than just the specifics of of what to pray or how to pray. Because without the help of the Holy Spirit we would not even know to pray. We on our own do not seek after God. Romans 3, 10, and 11. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Only by the Spirit do we know to pray with confidence, your kingdom come. And then eagerly wait for his kingdom to come. You see, God overcomes our weakness by giving us his Spirit by which he intercedes for us. 
we are feeble and need his sustaining grace. And that is why the Holy Spirit helps in to help us in our weakness with groanings too deep for words. Groanings too deep for words. Now, now, here's where some people get tripped up on this notion of groanings too deep for words. Some would interpret that as meaning praying in tongues. You may have heard people say, and I, I've said this myself, well, since I don't know what to pray, I'll just pray in tongues because the Holy Spirit knows what to pray. Don't misunderstand. If you don't know what to pray, by all means, pray in the Spirit. All I'm saying is that this phraseology does not lend itself to this text. Douglas Moo gives a comprehensive argument for why this is not the case in his commentary on Romans. Let me take a moment here to condense what he said. It was helpful to me as I studied this text, so I hope it will be helpful to you as well. Regarding the groaning by the Holy Spirit that is too deep for words, is it an intercession that comes about through our praying aided by the Holy Spirit? Or is it solely accomplished by the Holy Spirit on our behalf? A clue comes from the term that has been translated that words cannot express, or, or two words, too deep for words. The Greek word is, is aleteos, which means unspoken, wordless. But does it mean here ineffable, as in uh, incapable of being expressed in human language? In which case the groans could be audible, although not understandable. Or is it simply unspoken, meaning no sound at all? Well, if it were audible but not understandable, then the sounds would need to be the believer's own sounds, inspired and directed by the Holy Spirit, which some would interpret as glossolia, the speaking of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. However, the gift of tongues is restricted to some believers only. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through, 20, uh, 28 through 30, it says this, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But here in Romans 8, the help comes to all believers. Not just some. Therefore, it's more likely that the term used here for too deep for words is unspoken without audible sound. And that the groans are not the believers, but rather the Holy Spirit's. Of the Spirit's groaning, Douglas Moose says this, and I quote, a ministry of intercession that takes place in our hearts in a manner imperceptible to us. This means, of course, that groans is used metaphorically. 
So these groanings by the Holy Spirit are different than the groanings of the creation and believers. These groanings by the Holy Spirit are a ministry of intercession to God the Father on our behalf. By God the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is proven. We see this in verse 27, which reads, And he who searches hearts, that is God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, that also is God, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God who searches hearts knows the mind of the Holy Spirit, who also is God. Therefore, God the Spirit, who is interceding on our behalf, on behalf of the saints, is interceding according to the will of God. So here we have two who intercede for us. There's one in heaven who intercedes on our behalf, defending us from all charges, guaranteeing us salvation in the day of judgment, the Son of God, whose name is Jesus Christ. And there is also one in the hearts of the believer, the Holy Spirit, also the Spirit of God, who intercedes for us through our suffering life here in this fallen world, whose petition on our behalf is in accordance with the will of God the Father. Wonderful stuff. God's Word. My last point, which will be very brief, the groans for a future glory. Creation groans for deliverance and it waits eagerly for a future glory. Believers groan inwardly for the redemption of our bodies, and we wait eagerly for a future glory. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness by interceding for us with groanings too deep for words, according to the will of God. Groanings in accordance with the will of God for a future glory. the groans for a future glory. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The Holy Spirit liberates us from the bondage to sin and death and then helps us in our suffering. This builds faith for 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it builds faith for 18.8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As the band comes up, let me close with these words from the hymn, Oh, That Will Be Glory, by Charles H. Gabriel, who wrote this in 1900. When all my labors and trials are over and I am safe on that beautiful shore just to be near the Lord I adore will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me. Glory for me. 
And we wait eagerly. For one day, we will know the fullness of our salvation. Our salvation. Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me. Glory for me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for for the anticipation you give us, for the, the desire to eagerly wait for your future glory when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We thank you that you've given us confidence through the Holy Spirit and understanding and knowing that we will be there to witness that. On the day of your glory. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.